Hey everybody, welcome to another week and another episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Glad you are here. Now, anyone who regularly listens to the podcast must know who my next guest is, or at least you would have heard of him or the many books that he has authored. In fact, one of them I may have mentioned once on the show, or in fact, more than once, and that is The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Yes. So I can't say how excited I am for both you, my listeners, and to be honest, excited for myself here because I'm about to share an amazing conversation I recently did with Robin Sharma. And we all have a psychological story, and that story determines what, what we do each day. I know I say this a lot on the show, how grateful I am for when a particular guest comes on, and I mean it sincerely every time I say it. But with Robin Sharma joining me today, man, I have to admit, this is a different level for me personally. And also having him share almost an hour of his time for this conversation is truly a milestone for me and for the show in its own right. This man has helped me a lot in the decisions I've made in the past and certainly the way I look at success. And he's helped me simply by sharing his wonderfully simple yet powerful insights, the views that he has on the world. I'm sure as I was saying all that, some of you are already recalling how his work may have helped you as well. And now that he's here with us on Scale Up with Nick Bradley, we talk about so many cool things from fond memories of when he was starting out with his books, his philosophies, what influenced him and them, his view on legacy and success and how that has evolved throughout the years. And of course, he'll share things about his new book, The Everyday Hero Manifesto, how you can activate your positivity, maximize your productivity and serve the world, which by the way, I've already read and I cannot wait for you to get your hands on it. Make sure to stick around to the end of the interview to find out how. And I think it's a very vulnerable book. I've shared more of myself than in any other book. And it's it's a roller coaster ride. Like I go from, you know, the pyramid of peak productivity to ideas on living joyfully to changing the world. I mean, I think there's there's a lot in the book. So there we go. No more suspense, no more dribbling on from this crazy Australian. I'm proud to say, welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Mr. Robin Sharma. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here again. Welcome to Scale Up. This week, I am delighted to have someone on the show that has made such an impact on my life. And before I embarrass the guy and properly introduce him, I'm just going to tell a very, very quick story, and I'll make sure it's very brief. About a decade ago, I picked up a book, and I read that book and it changed my life. And I remember taking some actions from that book and I wrote down in a journal a number of goals. And as can sometimes happen, life gets in the way and you put that journal aside and then you find that journal and you pick it up and you go back. And this might be a few years later and you read the pages of what you wrote down and you realize that everything that you wrote down happened. That book, was the monk who sold his Ferrari. And my guest today is none other than the amazing Robin Sharma. Welcome. Thank you, Nick. You're more than generous. <laughs> Do you know what? I've been waiting to say that for a number of, number of years since I started this podcasting game. So the gift is actually yours to give to me because I'm not joking. I, I, I literally read that book. A lot of things were going on in my life at the time. I 
remember taking action on all the key points. And I was inspired by the fact that it was also your story from what you did. And uh, no, no word of a lie, I wrote down some pretty audacious goals. And then my wife and I reviewed that and literally all of them, like having a family, the businesses I've created since, all of it happens. So there you go. Life's, life's pretty amazing. And it's, uh, if I've been helpful to you, it, it makes me feel great. So thank you for sharing that. No problem at all. One of the things, and, and we're going to kind of talk about your new book today and, and some principles that you've learned over many, many years of, of, of helping people. But one of the things you say in that first book that I read is, you know, things are created first in the mind and then they are created in reality. And, and where did you first come about that? Where did that first land for you? Well, it's a great question. I think that's a philosophy that's been around for hundreds of years. The idea that, you know, what we think can materialize. And I think it's, it's not, a, not only a metaphysical type of a philosophy, but the reality is you talk to any good psychologist and they will tell you that our daily behavior reflects our deepest beliefs. And we all have a psychological story. And that story determines what, what we do each day. So if we have a story of undeservability, if we have a story of victimhood, if we have a story of I can never dominate my domain or change the world or, or handcraft the life that I want, then you're not even go out, going to go out and do the work required to make those dreams real. But, you know, I have to say, I wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari 25 years ago. The, the 25th anniversary edition is actually just being, just being released. That long? And wow, I must have come to it, it quite long, late then. <laughs> it, it, it came out a long time ago. And, um, but I, I have to say, like, I've re revised my philosophy. And hopefully I have, because, you know, I've, I've grown a little through the years. And so I don't think everything is what happens in the mind. And in The Everyday Hero Manifesto, my new book, I, I, I talk about the four interior empires and there's mindset, which is what you're referring to, which is yes. our psychology. And so many pundits in the world say, you know, mindset is, is everything. And, you know, we do respect to them. I believe mindset is 25% of the personal mastery equation. That's our psychology. But as human beings, we also have what I call heart set. We have an emotional life. We have a beating heart. We feel gratitude, awe and wonder. We feel shame, disappointment, sadness, and anger. Those things make us human as well. And so it's, and then there's health set, the third interior empire and soul set, our spirituality, which is not our egoic self, but our heroic self. So I just wanted to say, I think a great life involves us working on all four of those interior empires. And I think if you really want to materialize great things and you want to do big things in your life, you've got to use your mind and you've got to use your heart and you've got to use your body and you've got to use your spirit. Yeah, I love that. And I must say, I started, you know, certainly when I started to kind of think a bit more about what I wanted to create in my life, I started with the mindset piece and didn't quite appreciate the other areas. And what I found is sometimes if you either don't have an understanding or you neglect those other areas, things don't quite happen in the way you expect or you want. And then, and then you have to lean into the others and understand that probably the hardest one, if I can share this vulnerably on this is trying to connect on the emotional level, you know, trying to understand that as you would call heart set, but but we can get into that. I mean, your book, um, <clears throat> The Everyday Hero Manifesto, I, I want to get into all of the detail here. It, it, do, you, do you consider this a, a culmination of a lot of the thinking coming together into one almost compendium guidebook for people to be able to use practically? You know, I would, I would describe it as an instruction manual for exponential productivity, uh, a handbook for a world-class life, and uh, 
a manual for it to be a spiritual heavyweight on the planet. I think it, it, you're right. It, it does distill a lot of the methodology that I've been teaching over the past few decades in my mentoring work to billionaires and, and titans of industry, elite athletes and, and movement makers. And I think it's a very vulnerable book. I've shared more of myself than in any other book. And it's, it's a roller coaster ride. Like I go from, you know, the pyramid of peak productivity to ideas on um, living joyfully to changing the world. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot in the book. It's very, very comprehensive. <laughs> so I was, it's I was, intense. I, it's intense. I, I just said, we were just before we uh, press record, I'm in Dubai and uh, Robin's in Italy at the moment. And I was walking actually this morning in some beautiful weather, listening to it um, uh, as an audio book. And as I was doing that, I discovered the 150 odd page uh, PDF <laughs> that comes with it, which breaks down oh, a lot of the different things. And that in itself is unbelievable. But I, th I think where I want to start here is the origin of wanting to create this now, right? Because I believe you created it pretty quickly for a book of this, this um, comprehensiveness. Um, and, and what the mission behind that is, what did you see that then instilled you to want to start this now and then get this out so quickly? Well, I don't know if it was really, I mean, the 5am club took me four years. So compared yes. to that, the everyday hero manifesto was quick. I wrote it over 16 months and 16 very um, intense months of the pandemic. And why did I want to bring it out? Well, look, look at our troubled world. A lot of people have forgotten, you know, their, their genie, their primal genius. A lot of people have lost their hope. A lot of people have given away their power to the plague or all the disruption that's happening in the world. And uh, I totally, I mean, the society has taught us that heroes are people like Nelson Mandela, Hedy Lamar, Rosa Parks, uh, Mother Teresa, Albert Einstein. And yet what about the baker who gets up at 4.30 in the morning and bakes their bread like Picasso painted? What about the single father or mother you know, work, working as a gardener, but they do it with honor and nobility. What about the taxi driver whose Uber is perfectly clean and they're so polite and they're full of passion? And I wanted to remind people that, you know, we do have incredible gifts and talents within us. And if you do the right things and install the right philosophy and then <clears throat> practice the right rituals and routines that I talk about in the book, you can make your magic real and you can create great results and have a joyful, productive, um, beautiful life in the process. Yeah, I love that. I also love the fact of trying to bring that into something which is more accessible as well. Like, you know, I can, I can certainly recount of an Uber I was in yesterday, literally, and it was spectacular. The, the level right. of kind of intention that went around the experience that I had. And, and sometimes we go around our busy lives and forget that. And I certainly think one of the gifts actually of the last 24 months, let's call it, has been a little bit more of an appreciation of some of the smaller things. Because when other things are taken away from us, our freedom of travel, our freedom of seeing people, I've certainly found that I've connected with things on a, on a deeper level that I would not have even looked at previously. There's a, there's a chapter towards the end of the book on the eight forms of wealth. And society tells us or seduces us almost that Wealth is having a lot of money in your bank, a high personal net worth. And yet there's a lot of rich people that only have a lot of money and nothing else. And I think what these past 24 months you're referring to have taught a lot of us, there really are seven other forms of wealth, and you know, including the importance of adventure, the importance of family connections, the importance of savoring life's 
you know, incredibly simple pleasures. I mean, isn't um, self-respect a, a form of wealth? Isn't doing work with, with dignity an incredible form of wealth? Isn't someone who, who has a sense of humanity? I mean, the, the reality is we're a tiny planet in a galaxy of trillion other, trillions of other galaxies. And so even the person who's very decent and kind to other people, I think that's a wealthy person, even though society might not revere that person. No, and you're right. And, and they may not appreciate that at the time sometimes as well. You know, like people have different gifts. One thing I've always been curious, um, you know, following your various books, and I've read all of them, right, is has there been anything that jumps out that you've let go of? Let's call that a belief that you followed a ritual, a habit, a routine, or something that was so important to you that over time, as you've learned more about yourself, you've studied the world, you've studied people, that you've said, you know what, I don't believe that anymore, and I've moved on to something else. Is there any, I know there's probably millions of things, Rob, and I get that, <laughs> but is there anything that jumps out specifically? No, it's a brilliant question. Well, one of them is mindset isn't everything. Yeah. The importance of our emotional life versus repressing our emotions. And, you know, anyone who might be a lot of entrepreneurs follow you. Anyone who might be thinking, well, emotion uh, mindset or heart set is weak. I mean, with a strong heart set, you you work with love and your products reflect that love and that passion and that commitment. With a strong heart set, you, you connect with your team, you connect with your customers, you become a servant leader and a merchant of wow. When you have a strong heart set, you find a cause that's larger than yourself, which makes you unstoppable in business and in life. So that's one belief. You know, not living in my mind and being a cyber zombie, but someone who is more fluent with my emotions as well as my heart has been part of my evolution. I think also I used to be big on legacy. Yeah. I, I wrote a book years ago called Who Will Cry When You Die? And it was all about legacy, sort of uh, Joseph Campbell's idea to live in the hearts of those who leave, we leave behind is never to die. And now I don't believe in legacy at all. I think legacy is a sport of the ego. Because legacy, you know, it's all about how I'll be remembered by those who live after me. But I think ultimately life is short and we all end up as a pile of dust, maybe in an urn above a fireplace next to someone's little league trophies. And so it really doesn't matter how we're remembered after we die. What really matters is how we live while we are blessed to be alive. And the irony is when you focus on each day versus on your legacy and each day being excellent, masterful and growing and kind, then the days slip into weeks, the weeks slip into months, the months slip into years and the paradox is we leave a beautiful legacy. So that's something that's changed. I think also, um, you know, I used to, I used to focus a lot on <clears throat> you know, constantly being an elite performer. And now I've developed this philosophy I talked about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto of seasons, a se seasonality. I call them the twin cycles of elite performance. So when I was working on the Everyday Hero Manifesto, I was up at 4.15, I had all of my routines, I was fasting, I was doing my pre-sleep ritual, I was doing my second wind workout, all of those methodologies that I talk about in the book. Because that was my high excellence cycle. I had a big creative project I needed to bring to bear my, my best talents to do the work. But after the book was done, I slipped into or I consciously dropped into my deep recovery cycle. And that's where I'm not as structured. I'm not as uber productive. I rest more. I let ideas incubate and I enjoy the fruits of my labor. And so that's something I had to evolve into, not being so strict and so much like a machine, but more like, you know, the farmer 
has two seasons. The farmer has the season of planting and the farmer has the fallow season. And it's really in the fallow season where the field is growing. So, and, and you can even go to the science or the research. The, the Energy project, project has done some great work on this, but the most productive people work in cycles, cycles of intense activity and elite productivity, and then a cycle of recovery. Yeah, and that's something that I've, I've struggled with personally because, um, you know, probably my background was private equity. And you can imagine okay. what that's like, <laughs> you know, the idea, right. of heart, the idea of heart set in that world, right? You're not going to, well, I think these days it's changed a lot and I've seen a change, but back when I was in the kind of crux of it, it was a bit like watching, you know, billions with Bobby Axelrod, or if you go back a few years watching um, Wall Street <laughs> with Michael Douglas, but I found that, um, and, and this is interesting because I follow quite a lot of your different, um, let's call it instruction and ideas around routines. And I do want to touch on that because it's obviously in the book as well as part of the playbook. And I found that I started to get too focused on the activity itself. Like I have to do the habits. I have to tick the habits off. If I don't tick the habits off, like, and then I found I was getting really stressed just from trying to, you know, follow probably the method as opposed to what the method's supposed to feel like. And these days I don't do as many things in my routine. The ones I do, I'm more intentional about. And one of the big ones is sleep, right? For example, I just, I give myself a heap of sleep <laughs> and I find that that then is, almost like a catapult or a catalyst to the other stuff that I do. So I'm curious with that as well. Do you, with your routines and your habits, how do you approach it? Did they change depending on how you feel? Are you more in, in tune with, with that? And then you have flexibility? Well, I, I think you highlighted the key phrase, which is being in tune. Yeah. You know, I'm more, I'm more trusting of my natural rhythms right now. I think if you're living in the mind, you, you know, it's all about, ticking the boxes. I did 30, I, I, I talked to one person, you know, 32 daily routines. That's, that does sound stressful and it does sound almost, and I'm not judging just reporting, but it sounds almost compulsive, you know, and a lot of us, we create these structures to feel safe in the world. I was there. <laughs> right. So we have all these structures, all these routines. We feel that if we don't do them, we're get, we, we feel guilty, but really this kind of hyper ordered life is designed to make us feel safe because fundamentally at an emotional level, we don't feel safe in the world. And I think when you do the work that I encourage in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, you start to feel much safer in the world. And when you feel safer in the world, you start to have trust in your instinct and you, you start to be more relaxed and you, you know the seasons when you're meant to be productive and you know the seasons when you're meant to rest. And if you look at the most creative, productive people in the world, they had periods of time in their life when they were incredibly productive and they had periods of time in their life when they were not doing anything. John Lennon said it really well. He said, time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. The Japanese novelist Murakami said, it's when I'm not writing my book that I'm writing my next book. And so instinct is so much more powerful than intellect. And it's in this hustle and grind world the ideas in the Everyday Hero Manifesto are very contrarian. But actually, if you study the, the geniuses and the most productive people in the world, these people were not working 24-7. And another thing that's important is, you know, if all you're doing is working, you're not putting out your greatest work. You know, I think it's much better to put out one Sistine Chapel ceiling than 1,000 mediocrities. Yeah, I can see that. But how do you... How do you almost get, I can say this in this way, and I'm sure you'll come back on it, but give yourself the permission or the grace 
to do that when there's so many things around you that are maybe pushing you in one direction. You know, I think environment is very important, right? You know, how you mm-hmm. surround yourself with and all that. Because there's a there's a, a level of being brave to be able to even lean into that concept. Yeah, it, excellent insight. And I think it's a process. I mean, this okay. is the process of self-mastery and personal growth. It, it doesn't happen in, a, in an instant. It happens over time. Uh, you know, um, in the book, I share a lot of my own journey. Yeah. 22, you know, so in my mid twenties, I was a litigation lawyer. I lived very much in my head. I was extraordinarily structured, but I wasn't as a, as effective. Isn't that the paradox? Do yes. less to yes. achieve more, <laughs> do less to achieve more. Like what an interesting thing, right? In the everyday hero manifesto, I talked about the five great hours rule as a contrarian idea. And I've taught it to the billionaires that have mentored in the Titans of industry that I've worked with, with two yeah. de- for, for over two decades. I mean, Five, usually it takes us two weeks of fake work to achieve five hours of real work. So imagine if you set up the tight bubble of total focus I talked about, and you set up your ecosystem, and you set up your routine so that each day all you work is five incredibly intense, monomaniacally focused hours. Right? No distraction, no interruption, no, no fooling around. You just bring, bring it on, and then you've got the rest of the day off. And so... Working less will allow you to achieve so much more and produce such more beautiful work. How do you get to that place where you trust yourself? Well, first of all, it starts with the awareness that actually we are, if all you're doing is working, we're operating under a philosophy that worked in the factory era. When we'd work on a factory, the more you, the more you'd produce on the factory line, the more productive you'd be, but we don't live in that world anymore. But I think, you know, as I say, I shared my own journey and I used to be a litigation lawyer where I lived in my mind and all I was doing was working and I started trying other things. I started meditating. I started journaling. I tried acupuncture. I worked with spiritual counselors. I've been in a sweat lodge and you know, I've read so many books and I've had so many different mentors and I've been doing this, this personal development work for 22 years now. And part of what it's done for me, it's allowed me to be um, much more intuitive and uh, much more intuitive and much more truly creative versus forcing everything. I, I just, I think I, I come back to, I feel more safe in the world and I don't have so much, con- you know, controlling everything. It's much more balanced. I have a great schedule. I have great routines, but it's not so dogmatic if that makes sense it makes perfect sense and i think you know a lot of people come to me listen to this show and they start to get into being again to use the word more intentional about what they do day in day out to then have a greater impact and it's a bit like that old saying of you know you plant the seed you don't see the tree you've got to stay with it and a lot of people give up and all that but i think they they do go hard at that 25 to 30 you know things i'm not going to add and they keep adding and keep adding and keep adding and then it becomes overwhelming and stressful um, certainly that's how I was, but I think the reason for that was because I'd come from a world where everything was about pace. Everything was about results. Everything was about this perceived achievement. that therefore, if I was going to do this, right, try to start to work on myself, I had to do the same approach. And I found over time that it hasn't been as successful, but slowing down to speed up has, right? And so it's fascinating just to hear you talk to it, to be honest, because I think the way you're explaining helps a lot of people just to understand maybe the journey that they're on by understanding your journey. Yeah, I, I think that's 
I think that's a good way to put it. And I think, you know, our income and our impact always reflects our self-identity. And so it's very easy to say, well, I'm not going to spend time on personal mastery and self-knowledge and strengthening myself and running these and do, doing the work required <clears throat> to materialize our primal genius because I have to create these results and I have to yes. be doing. We live in a world that celebrates doing, but you can never achieve, you can never create anything that's better than yourself. And so by working on yourself, and I'm not saying all day long, we're not monks, but taking the time early in the morning or maybe sometime before you go to sleep to, to, to meditate, to write in a journal, to build some self-reflection, to read something philosophical or beautiful, to simply sit still and ponder who you want to become, what you want to stand for, what you want to create, to visualize, to, to pray, these kinds of things will allow you to turn down the voice of the ego, which is causing you to constantly be doing and to get to know yourself better. And so, so when you actually work, you do much more elegant work and much more beautiful work. Yeah, indeed. And I like the five hour principle that you talk about because <clears throat> I started a, um, a process similar where I don't technically do work until midday. So the mornings I take my kids to school, I go to the gym, Great. I do my, any, any personal work I do then. And then I, I literally do five, five to six hours. Maybe it's breaking the rule a bit, but anyway, but, but I find I'm super productive because actually in that time I've given myself the morning, if you like to really work on myself. And then when I get into anything, that's kind of, you know, the stuff that's in my businesses or whatever, I feel very, very energized and focused and therefore it's, is super productive as opposed to nine hours, 10 hours, sometimes 15 hours that I was doing previously. So just wanted to draw a line under that. Um, I agree with, with what you said previously. This is a pretty personal book for you. You know, you share a lot of stuff from your childhood and things like that. So I've got a couple of questions. The first one's a bit fun. Did you ever own a Ferrari? Never. Okay. So I've always wanted to ask that. <laughs> Second question. Yeah, no, I never. I think it's a beautiful car. I, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I honestly don't have any interest in it. I, I appreciate the beauty. Uh, right now I'm driving, you know, a pretty small car and it, it, it suits me just fine. Good. I was only mucking around with you for fun. The, the, the real question I wanted to ask though, because this is a personal book and you, and you do give a lot of weight. I want to get into some of the, the various things because there's so much in it. The point where you first, because it is kind of summarized a little bit in, in the monkey soldiers Ferrari, but the point where you really leaned into this and how you felt at the time um, that then made you just, you know, probably transformed the point of your life from that. Can you just explain that to us? Because I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that a lot of people know you, right? But a lot of people don't. And a lot of people hit a point where they never actually, you know, face into that pain, if you want to call it that, to then make a change. So I'd just be here is curious for you to share that if you can. Sure. Well, I was a litigation lawyer. I had done everything the world had suggested I should do to become successful. Uh, but what's the point of being successful and losing yourself in the process? And I'd wake up every morning, I'd walk into the bathroom, I'd look at the mirror, and I didn't know I didn't like the person who was looking back at me. And really, I was suffering. I was suffering. Uh, and it was this word angst, you know, just deeply unfulfilled. I had uh, a beautiful car, I had a beautiful place to live, I, I was making very good money. And yet, I just felt completely empty inside. So as I mentioned, I started experimenting with these different ideas. I started reading about, you know, how happy people do it. I started interviewing elders and people I thought were living very successful lives. And I did this over a three-year period where I was really just experimenting with different philosophies and ideas 
to make myself happier and more fulfilled, truly productive, more creative, uh, and more peaceful inside. And um, after three years, I decided to share my transformation. And I wrote this book. I self-published it in a 24-hour coffee shop. I, I called the book The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Is that how it was done? The, it was literally a self I didn't realize that. It was a self Well, in the, in the second chapter of the book, I get even deeper into it. And, you know, I explain how I self-published it. And um, no one gave me much of a chance. People were laughing at the idea. And one day I found myself in a bookstore. I was there with my son, Colby, who was about four years old at the time. They had three or four copies on consignment. And um, there was a gentleman standing next to me as I signed a few copies. And he said, wow, the monk who sold his Ferrari. What a great title. I said, thank you. And he said, tell me more about it. I said, I, you know, I so believe in this message. I think it'll help so many people. And he pulled out his wallet. He pulled out a business card. And on it, it said, Ed Carson, president of HarperCollins. And I think synchronicity is destiny's way of uh, remaining anonymous. And that was really the start of my journey as an author and, uh, you know, leadership teacher. Do you believe, just to jump on that last point, serendipity, synchronicity, do you believe in that more now? Have you had more experience of, I mean, I'd love to understand how you think about that. Is it something that the opportunities are always in front of us? However, we're not always seeing them until we start to create the intention again. How's that? How's well, that I mean, if, if you look at from, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of neuroscience in the everyday hero manifesto as well. If you look yes. at it, I mean, what fear does, it creates cortisol and it contracts our perception. And so when we look at the world we're living in right now, a lot of us are so afraid and I'm not judging at all. I mean, it's a very troublesome, volatile time. We've got the plague, we've got climate change, we've got economic disruption, we've got social unrest, et cetera. And if you're a feeling person as a, as a high functioning human being would be, you're going to feel some level of trauma or fear. But what fear does, it does restrict and it does contract us and we causes us to miss opportunities that, as you say, Nick are right in front of us. And um, yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting time, but uh, yeah, that's how, that's how I got, that's how I got my start. Wow. Okay. Awesome. And again, I think, you know, a lot of people reach out to me and they, they feel stuck. My personal story was one where I had to, it was actually, I was doing a meditation actually. I'll share this very quickly because I think you'll, you'll connect with it. And I wasn't very good at this. You know, back then I was very, I struggled, you know, even trying to slow things down and get my mind and my breathing and all that. And during this meditation, I had this voice in my head and the voice was saying very clearly, trust yourself, right? Trust yourself continually. And, and it freaked the hell out of me, if I'm honest, because I knew what it meant. What it meant is the life that you've lived up to this point has been built around a couple of different concepts. One is what everyone expects of you. So just do what people expect and, and kind of almost do what, what you, what you are going to expect of yourself without pushing the boundaries of what that is. But if you lean into this and trust yourself, there's going to be something bigger, you know, impact wise or whatever else. And I cried my eyes out. I literally did. I remember in this meditation, I was crying because I, I actually got given a gift in that, in that sort of moment. And then that changed everything. But it was so weird, mate. I, the reason I wanted to share that with you is you probably, again, you must hear this all the time, but it was just such a weird feeling, but it did change everything. Because that was probably the first time, back to heart set, where I got out of here, you know, pointing to my head for everyone listening, and I got here 
for the first time and it just it opened up so many different things i think i mean thank you for sharing that and i and and I appreciate you being so honest about it. I, I think what happens is we're born into genius and too many good souls become resigned into average. And when, we, when we're born, we're born into possibility. You look at a little kid full of curiosity, full, yeah. of, full of excitements, full of you know, bravery, full of decency. You, know, you put a bunch of kids together, there's no hatred, there's just connection and, and joy. They rejoice in the moment. But then as we leave the perfection of childhood, we, we receive programming and we, we become brainwashed and we become heartwashed. And we pick up the programming of our, of our early caregivers and our teachers and our peers. And then we get older and we pick up the, the, the philosophies and the ideology that the media sells to us and society inculturates us into. And we not only pick up all of this intellectual limitation, we also pick up emotional uh, restriction through what I call in the book, uh, micro and macro trauma. Every one of us, as we go through life, you know, we experience good things and we experience hurts, right? Life hurts yes. us at times. Some of it's big trauma, some of it's little trauma, but that all, all, all of that, it's, it serves to put these layers over our genius and over our brilliance. And as you start to wake up and as you start to become interested in removing these layers and as you start to question question you know what is your possibility what is your destiny how can you live a better life who who are you you start the process of remembering and removing the layers that you've placed over your greatest self and so i think what we do is we have this egoic self which is our weakest self that doesn't really perceive the true world the egoic self sees us as very limited and not connected to other people. The egoic self is not really creative and truly productive. The egoic self is uh, just very unaware. And a lot of us are stuck in that egoic self. And it's really a place of great fear. But unfortunately, most people don't know it. And as we do the work and run the protocols that I talk about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, you start the process of returning to your true self, which I think is your heroic self. And what I'd like to say is, you know, at our core, no matter who you are, no matter where you live on the planet, underneath the layers of all the doubt, fear, disbelief that we've picked up and all the baggage we've picked up, at our core, every single human being is full of creativity, decency, bravery, and, uh, and, and love and connection. I mean, we are so truly powerful and we are so truly able to materialize our ethical ambitions. But a lot of people are just disconnected from that true power. Yeah, I can see that. And how you just described that makes total sense to how I was feeling. I want to get into some more detail in the book, but I've got one more question. If someone doesn't, I'm going to say deal with that or face into that, uh, which a lot of people don't, right? And they kind of go through and, and that may end up in regret. It might end up in a life where they look back and realize I didn't really you know, become who I could be. What's your view on that? I mean, in terms of, does that, does it come back to, you know, is that where we get sick? Is that where we, you know, is that where all the pain in the world is? I mean, I'm just curious about, you know, the, the, the message you would give to people who, who need to hear it right now, who are there if they don't take action or do anything that you recommend and, and talk about. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm certainly not interested in, um, you know, I, I don't force people to change, of course. I, I'm not interested in 
you know, saying to people, well, if you're not doing this, you're wrong. I mean, this is just my philosophy. The beauty of living a human life is you get to conduct it on the terms that are right to you. And as we know better, I think it was Maya Angelou who said, as we know better, we can do better. And everyone is on their path. And who am I to say that someone is at the wrong place? Having said that, I would say the reality is that, or in my experience, potential unexpressed turns to pain. Yeah. And, and human beings have such glorious, holy potential to build great companies and to create amazing art and to do beautiful scientific inventions. Or, or maybe it's not as lofty as that, but just to get to live honorable, happy, joyful lives with their family. I mean, I think one of the traps the world falls into is we celebrate the billionaires and the titans of industry and the, the, the champions who do big things. But why do we have to necessarily do a big thing to live a soaring life? No, you know, I mean, I think thing. that. Yeah, sorry to cut in. Well, sure, sure you're right. And, and you know, you're, because how many times have you heard that story, though? I mean, where there's the millionaire who's stressed, whose kids don't talk to him anymore, whatever. And then you've got the guy down the road or your brother or your sister who, who has what seems a very simple life from the outside in. They're extremely happy. I'm sure everyone has their own challenges in their own ways, right? But you kind of see that paradox all the time, that the perception of success created by what's around us in society, and that's why I love the title of your book, is not necessarily what success is for everyone in every circumstance, in every situation. I think, you know, society has sold us a bill of goods on what success is. And, and that's why, you know, there's a chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto on the troll deconstruction, you know, like how beautiful it is to overcome your trolls. I think every visionary was initially ridiculed before they were revered. So, you know, doing something creative and bold attracts critics. I mean, what, what I'm trying to suggest is you... I, I think the real key to success is to find success on your terms and then have the bravery to live by your values, even if people misunderstand you and call you, call you strange. Um, but get, getting back to the other key point that you mentioned, I think you know, potential unexpressed does turn to pain. And I think as human beings, we are hardwired. You could call it neurobi you could say neurobiologically. Neurobiolo we are hardwired to progress. We are hardwired to explore the higher realms of our promise. We are hardwired to do difficult things. That's why we release dopamine in the doing of difficult things. And we feel good doing difficult things. So if we choose to live a life where we're spending most of our time in digital distraction and, and being cyber zombies. <laughs> Again, there, there's, there's no judgment, but we, there is a price to pay for it. And so in the moment it feels good. And if we're doing fake work versus real work, and if we're betraying our talents and if we're spending our days tasting, ch chasing shiny toys that amount to nothing at the end, our higher self, our conscience, our heroic self will notice it every day. This is what I'm saying. We have this incredibly deep wisdom within us right now, and it watches everything we do, even if we don't believe this to be true. And so as we go through life, we betray ourselves. And when we betray ourselves and our talents and our gifts and our values and our truths, we might fall into dis-ease. We have lower energy. We, there's less awe and wonder. And to even circle back what we we're to your question about synchronicity and destiny, Nick, you know, I'm just reporting what I've experienced in life, but 
as we go all in, as we trust our instinct over our intellect, as we make hedged risks, as we honor our values, even if we're an army of one and the world thinks we're crazy. <laughs> yes. The most, the most, the, there, there is a magic that unfolds. And I look, I'm a litigation lawyer. I, I work with some of the greatest companies in the world. I mentor billionaires. I'm, I think, a very practical, grounded person. But I also want to be incredibly honest. And I just find when you do the modalities I talked about in the book, when you run your own race, when you have faith in your convictions, when you trust the muse and that voice you talked about, the most extraordinary events begin to unfold and you start to see this incredible uh, uh, majesty of life. And you know, if you read, read the great sages and seers, the great pundits, the great philosophical books, these people talk about this, alt let's call it an alternate universe, right? There's the real, the, yes. the real world. Uh, you know, sometimes it has to be, always be difficult and it's hard and, you know, a lot of people are stuck. But as you do this work, you realize there is another universe of such creativity and incredible beauty. Um, yeah, it, it is there. And it doesn't mean every day is perfect. Of course it's not. No, but it, it does make every day. I, th I think there's greater levels of hope, if I use that word. Once you understand that, um, when I, you know, exactly those two realities for me, when I first realized there was another way of thinking, feeling as well, uh, and therefore operating, it was scary, right? You know, I, I created a mantra around it, which was um, be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up. Great. Right. And which was for me, like principles of how I wanted to live my life. Right. But I had to, I had to say that continuously to try and, you know, cloud out years and years, as you mentioned before, of programming, right? But then as I started to, to understand that it was A, safe, and B, um, not as scary maybe as everything else that I knew, it became much more compelling as well. Well, there's, you're absolutely right. I think there's an incredible payoff for bravery, even if you fail, because the very doing of something brave makes you a stronger person and introduces you to unseen talents within you and that's the real payoff yeah. and i think also you know fortune does reward your bravery yeah and i think and back to what you said about identity right you know you can only you can only move as far as your identity allows so therefore you work on yourself those those small changes sometimes those one percenters that build up and it's like the the muscle that grows right with 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 grit and resilience you know they build up over time yeah, I've, I've been teaching that philosophy for two decades, small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. It's not what you do once a year that's valuable. It's what you do every day. And those tiny triumphs, when done consistently over time, stack into massive gains. Um, yeah, I, th I, think, I think that's, that's, that's really very important. There's a couple of things I want to finish up with, just to be respectful of your time. And um, <laughs> the book is so comprehensive. I'm gonna I'm gonna say now, and a few times before we finish up, just go and get the book because when I went through <laughs> went through it and I was going through, as I said, even the PDF, there are so many things there. And this is gonna be maybe a bit of a challenging question, but if if someone's gonna start somewhere, obviously read the book. There's a lot in there. Take away what you will. 
you've got different models in there. I like the uh, the victim to hero leap. I think that's powerful. Uh, you've got some more practical things. But if you can, just sort of summarize where you think the starting point is for people. You know, where should they first look if they're going to, if they're just going to, if they're starting from almost ground zero and wanting to kind of start to work on themselves and starts to take some of the principles from the book that you've been talking about? Sure. You know, I've been on this podcast tour and one of the most common questions I get is, so where do we start? Good. And <laughs> I think, I think there's such a fascination in where do we start? And I'm not in any way dismissing the question, but this almost obsession, where do we start is what's preventing a lot of people from starting. You know, where do you start? As honestly, as I can say, you just start and you want to get fitter, take the first walk. You want to become wiser, read the, read the first page. You want to fall in love. You ask someone out on the first date, you want to build a business, you know, you subscribe to the first app, like you just put one foot in front of the other and you just start. Lao Tzu said it so well, the thousand mile journey begins with the single step. Like I, what I'm just saying is like, let's not complicate it by like, where, where do we start? You just stop worrying about where do we start and you just do whatever instinctually is the most, the next best joyful, intelligent move for you. Having said that, I would say um, I'd start like the second or the third chapter of the book is it's okay not to be okay. And I would start with just a little bit of self-appreciation. Most of us feel that if we're not on the top of the mountain, we're, we're broken. And I would just say, you know, where you are, and I'm saying, you know, with great respect to all your viewers and your listeners, where you are is a really good place, even though you might not think it. And your past served you incredibly well because it made you who you are right now. So wear your scars as badges of honor for a life colorfully lived. You, you really haven't wasted time. It's okay not to be okay. And the starting point is just to give yourself a little self-honoring and remember there are no extra people on the planet. You have gifts and talents within you let's even say perhaps you're listening to this conversation for a reason. Second thing I would say is, you know, genius is less about your, your genetics and more about your daily habits. So the Everyday Hero Manifesto is full of hundreds of habits that have worked for the billionaires and the titans of industry and the sp professional sports stars that I've mentored. So start to have a good look at your habits and please don't start with 50 habits that you want to install tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, don't take my don't take my list that I said because trust me, these days I don't have as many. Just yeah, and don't take my old list either. You know, just pick <laughs> one or two habits that you want to install. University College London says it takes about sixty six days to install a new habit to the point of automaticity. So, you know, pick one of those habits, work on it for not a not four days, not a week, for sixty six days. As I say in the book, all change is hard at first, messy in the middle, beautiful at the end. Mm -hmm. So I it's not right. Yeah, so it's a process. And so stay with any, any habit for 66 days until you make it automatic and then work on your next habit. What habits would be good? A great morning routine is very, very powerful. Start the day off with some sweaty exercise. You're really speedy enough, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which promotes um, neurogenesis, the creation of new brain cells, better brain processing. Sweaty exercise in the morning releases dopamine. It'll make you feel so much better. Releases serotonin, makes you feel happier. The, ha the happiness neurochemical reduces cortisol, the fear transmitter. So a great morning routine is powerful. The five great hour rule 
that I teach in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, transformational yeah. in terms of your productivity. I would also rem remember, you know, you can change the world or play with your phone. You can't do both. So build an ecosystem where you get to do real work versus fake work. Turn off your notifications, you know, be present. Uh, so your work routines are very, very powerful. I would also say a, a strong pre-sleep ritual. You talked about the, the value of sleep. You know, research is coming out that shows while you sleep, the brain has a mechanism that washes itself. Uh, also, you know, you can't get up early if you don't have great sleep. And so no, no white screen two hours before you go to sleep, sleep in a cool room, have a nice pre-sleep ritual. That's a great place to start. I would also say, um, you know, don't feed the trolls. I mentioned the chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, the troll deconstruction, which is very powerful. It's nine, nine elements that will allow you not to pay attention to your critics. Because as you start to live a life that most people, you know, there's, there's a brain tattoo I've been teaching for years. It's to have the results only 5% of the population has. You've got to do what 95% of the population is unwilling to do. That makes you a contrarian. So you've got to learn how to deal with the people who, call you crazy. So that's very powerful. And then one of the final starting points would be remove the energy vampires and the dream stealers from your life. A lot of us are surrounded, and we could get into the science on mirror neurons and emotional contagion and the work of Nicholas Christakis, who says, this is very powerful. We become, um, we behave not only like our friends, but the friends of our friends as friends. I'll repeat that again. Mm. We behave and operate like our friends, but also the friends of our friends and the friends of our friends' friends. That's how powerful our associations are, thanks to emotional contagion and mirror neurons. The point I'm trying to suggest is a lot of us have filled our lives with energy vampires and dream stealers. And these are the people who every time we talk to them, they make us feel bad. Every time we share a new possibility, they say that it can't work. Every time we passionately say, here's what I want to change, they say, well, be practical. These, these people are often good people, but they're, they're caught in their own victim story. Yes. By, by, <laughs> by, by I'm, just, I'm just celebrating what you just said then, because yes, I know exactly. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, and it's, so, it's so incredibly emancipating to consistently and elegantly and lovingly and respectfully remove these people from your life. This is one of the most powerful ways, not only to become happier, but to become so much more productive and have so, so much more traction around your ethical ambitions. I've had many fascinating and fun people on this show, Robin, but I don't think anyone has articulated with such language so many different principles of what you know aligns both happiness success achievement whatever that means to you like really awesome <laughs> so, thank you yeah the gift the gift of doing these and having having a podcast like this is i get to spend some time with people like yourself and it becomes you know cathartic in many cases for me just as much as it does to all the people who've listened because just to say this when i started this podcast the first 25 episodes was me talking into a mic in a darkened room sharing my transition story out of that world I explained previously, right? And a lot of people gravitated towards that because I needed to get it out. But I mm -hmm. think it was also uh, permission and also understanding for others who were going through a similar thing. But, uh, you know, amazing. What I'd like to finish up with, if that's okay, is um, for the book, as I said, it's, it's a culmination of so many different principles. It's amazing. What's your hope for people who, who read it? 
and and you know the the, the, the sort of ongoing I suppose impact you'd like to have with this book well I I, I wrote the book um in many ways, sharing my methodology that I've shared with many of the most successful people in the world. And I, that's why there's all the models in the book and all the yeah. different methodologies and philosophies. Like I wanted to make it accessible for anyone who wants to live not only a truly successful, productive, high impact life, but I truly believe success without soulfulness is an empty victory. So it's all the Everyday Hero Manifesto is also a book for people who want to find the beauty in life, uh, a book for people who want to connect with humanity, a, a book with people who want to, you know, find self-knowledge and their own spirituality as well. So I really wrote the book with great love uh, as a love letter to people's greatest promise and most glorious gifts and talents. And um, I hope the book inspires people. And that sounds like a you know, a very lofty word, but I think, you know, inspiration is what drives us to do amazing things with our life. So I hope the book inspires. I hope the Everyday Hero Manifesto really moves people to create lasting, sustained change. I hope the book causes people to, you know, give, gives them tools, like real tools and methods and habits and skills to, um, to get big things done or to get things done in their life to make, to make real change. And I hope the book really reminds people of who, of, of who they truly are. Like I said, I, I don't believe there's any extra people on the planet. And I think we all have soaring gifts and talents within us. And I think with all the busyness of the world and all the um, volatility in the world, a lot of us have forgotten who we truly are. And we think that it's the famous people who are heroes, but I want people to own their own heroism. And uh, I've, I've tried to give, give, the, give them the tools to do that. Well, congratulations on that. And as I said, getting the book done in 16 months through a challenging time for a lot of people. The Everyday Hero Manifesto by the amazing Robin Sharma. Where can people get this book? And I know you've got a few other things. Um, I had a look at the back pages. You've got other things that are associated with the book that you may want to mention as well. Sure. Um, at the end of the book, as you say, there's a, a free video-based course, You know, no charge whatsoever, but that's designed to take people through I think it's a 15 day process video based. So they make the ideas in the book real and part of their, part of their lives. Uh, at the end of the book, I've shared all sorts of other resources. They can enjoy those and get great value from those. The book is available. I think it's in about 30, 30 countries already. And so it's in all good bookstores around uh, in these, in these countries around the world. You can, people are loving the audio book. You mentioned the audio book. Thank you. And uh, so that's available on audible.com. The book is available on Amazon, of course. And I do want to mention, uh, because this, uh, I'm very enthusiastic about it. Uh, a portion of my royalties goes to help children suffering from leprosy. So, uh, you know, it goes to a good cause as well. And if people want to, if they liked what I shared, they can follow me on Instagram. I do a podcast called The Mastery Sessions. It's on YouTube. And the mothership is robinsharma.com where people can sign up to my email list where I send out really strong value posts and videos every week or every two weeks. Awesome. And I've been a subscriber to that for many years, Robin. You'll like to know. So, and it's very, very good. Thank so, you, Nick. To square the circle on how I opened up this conversation today, um, a big thank you for the impact you've made on my life. Um, people know a lot of my story and a lot of what I do now has come from listening, learning, applying, you know, the wisdom of people like yourself. So again, I just want to reiterate my thanks 
uh, to the work you've done and just to, you know, to continue to do it, sir, you know, because you're making a huge impact in the world. More than generous, Nick. I'm, I'm, it's privileged to be helpful to you. All right. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.